in trouble if I don't tell my wife happy birthday. Um, today is Judy's birthday, and Bill Hall made some flowers. I thank Bill Hall for doing God made some flowers, and Bill Hall arranged some flowers. That's what it's best to put it. Uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, I'm not, I'm, you want to come up here and do this, or do you want me to do this? <laughs> it's also my brother Don's birthday today, and uh, so happy birthday to, to my brother Don. We've got a lot of family time this weekend. Uh, Ellen is with us, I mentioned you first. And Taylor and his wife Stephanie are here from Nashville. And our grandson Jackson is in the nursery right now. And uh, we had a lot of family together yesterday for the funeral of my brother Charlie. And uh, so many of you did so much to help us um, in feeding and bringing things and locking doors making sure the air conditioning was on and just so much thank you it, it made a tough situation uh, easier but to be honest with you i'm glad yesterday's over with don you glad yesterday's over with he's glad yesterday's over with uh, this morning in my office I, I i have a funeral file and it was kind of odd to staple everything together and put my brother Charlie in the file. Uh, and Mike, he was right between Ann Shivers and Bobby Simpson. It's where he fell in my alphabetical order file. And that made me start crying again this morning when I put Charlie in the file. He went between my aunt and Mike's son-in-law who went to heaven way too early. And since it's on my mind, what I thought I would do today is talk about what happens when we die and tell you what scripture teaches and we'll get started. There's some interesting pictures that you can find in the internet uh, of what archaeologists unearthed in China at the burial site of their first emperor, Shi Huang Ti. Uh, you've probably seen this and maybe have been fascinated with the life-size terracotta uh, soldiers that were buried with the first emperor uh, in battle formation, equipped with war chariots and weapons, uh, just trying to get ready for what happened when the emperor died. Uh, some of you perhaps have, uh, if not been to the Middle East and seen the pyramids, maybe you've seen touring shows of the treasures of uh, King Tutankhamun or other pharaohs that have, that have gone around. It's fascinating. Uh, how people get ready uh, for the afterlife. And, well, we probably better be ready for the afterlife. We're going to look at what Scripture says about that as a life after. And it's my prayer. It's been comfort to me, and I pray that it's comfort to you as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, but we also need to be prepared, and we need to be informed. So before we go further, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that teaches us, and we ask that you would uh, comfort us with it. Father, we uh, thank you that uh, this life is not all that there is, that you have something prepared for us, and we just ask that it's our prayer that all of us here are ready, and we would help the world around us to be ready, too. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The statistics are pretty impressive. One out of one people die. Uh, aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't that great? Uh, and okay, if you're keeping score.
Ishgar, I remember Enoch and Elijah, and I'm going to give you those two. And, uh, but, but we had better be prepared. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you've heard these words so very often. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 tells us this. And just as it's appointed for mortals to die once, and after that, the judgment. But why? Why is it that we die? Did God intend for us to do this? You know the answer to that question. I'm getting very basic with this beginning, but Genesis tells the story in chapter 3. You know the story of the tree of knowledge in the midst of the garden. Adam and Eve ate, and verse 8 begins by saying, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening praise. And, and I'm not reading all of this, and, and that's on your little sheet to take home, but you know they began the game of hide and seek with God at that time, and everything changed, and then there were penalties, and God begins to line out the penalties in these verses. He first gives the penalties to the serpent, and then he again talks to the woman, and then we get to man in general, including us. And I'll sum it up in verse 19. We are told by the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So that wasn't the original plan, but that's the consequences for sin. Romans 6.23, you know that one, tells us the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.56, the first part says, the sting of death is sin. So that's why it came. Death is an enemy of God because it destroys life. In contrast to God, the author and the creator of life. Is there any hope? Absolutely. Charlie Hartsfield, you know the answer to that question. Absolutely, there is hope. God can conquer death, and he has. Remember the story in, in John chapter 11 of Lazarus? <coughs> Jesus' dear friend Lazarus lived at home with his sisters Mary and Martha. And Jesus is away from Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived, and he gets a message that uh, Lazarus is pretty bad and he's about to go and we need you to get here as quick as you can. And you remember what Jesus did? He delayed. He tarried. He took his time. And by the time he got to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. He was completely gone. And so, Jesus goes, tells them to roll the stone away, they said, that's not a good idea. Trust me, Lazarus come out and he hops out and loves the story. But something happened in that encounter, and I want to read you what Martha said to Jesus in verse 21 of John chapter 11. Martha, when Jesus got there, and they'd already had the service, and Lazarus is already in the tomb, Martha looked at Jesus. And she said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd have been here, if you'd have showed up, I don't know if that's really a nice thing she's saying. It's her hope and it's her trust, but 
It's almost what took you so long. If you'd have gotten here, he'd have, he'd have been okay. If I was misinformed, I could say the same thing about my brother Charles. I could say, you know, God, if you showed up, he'd still be alive. Martha's question is very common. Where was God? And when we face death, and we all have people that we love, our definition of God is challenged, and our faith might shake if we're not informed. And that leads to the question, why is it that we can interpret the presence of death as the absence of God? Because it is just the opposite. The presence of death does not mean God is absent. In fact, Scripture teaches us that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Why do we think that if the body is not healed, that God is not near? Is physical healing the only way that God demonstrates His presence? No. No. Jesus didn't raise Lazarus for Lazarus' sake. He did it for the living. For Mary, for Martha, for you, for me, and the foretaste to know that it's not final. He has victory even over the grave. That there is hope. In Philippians, we are told in chapter 1, verse 21, a great section of scripture that for me, living is Christ, but dying, that's gain. That is even better for the believer. For the non-Christian to die, that's the ultimate loss. And down the road, we're going to do a series on heaven and hell. But for the believer, it is gain. Questions are asked. When do we go to heaven? Charlie took his breath two weeks ago, about 9.25, 9.20, on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, when do we go to heaven? Scripture teaches, uh, I believe, in Luke 23, 43, the thief on the cross. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, that today you will be with me in paradise. In Philippians 1.23, Paul says, I am far pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. When we leave here, I'm convinced my last breath on earth will be my first breath as a spirit in heaven. I know that there are a lot of movies out, and there's one out right now, uh, about a lot of books that have been written about near-death experiences, and Maybe in due time I will see them. But I want to be very careful and please understand that I want to build uh, my theology on God's Word, not stories from the Word. And so I want to know what Scripture says so I can be prepared about what's going on. What about our bodies? When do they go to heaven or, or do they? What happens to our bodies? My brother Charlie was cremated. And I built a bird's eye curly maple that I was very proud of for Charlie, but it's cremates. That's the word they use again. And so when people would come over to the house, I would show them the box. And my brother Tim came over, and I was so proud of the lumber and the joinery and the way that it went together, and it was beautiful, and it had a nice finish on it, and I took him down to the garage, and I thought we were just have a moment together as brothers. And I said, what do you think? And my brother Tim said, he's not in there, is he? <laughs> he, he, he did not want to be there. And so what happens, what happens to the body? 
Death has two stages. First, the separation of the body and the spirit. We've seen the body after death. We've all seen that. Second, there's a reunion with the body and a, and a glorious resurrection at the second coming of Christ. Let me explain it this way. You ever driven down the road or walked through a mall and you see a store that was closed and there was brown paper over the window so you couldn't see inside and it said closed for remodeling? I think I want that on my tombstone. It'd be, it'd be very perfect for a Christian's tombstone. The body is closed for remodeling. But scripture teaches there will be a physical body in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. We do not want you to be uninformed. Some scripture says ignorant, some translations, brothers and sisters, about those who have died. So that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself with the cry of command with the archangels call, with the sound of God's trumpet will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ they will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I am encouraged. And that's why I'm doing this today after probably the toughest funeral I've ever done is because that's where my encouragement has come from, the truth of the Word of God. Philippians 3.21, about that process, he will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We don't understand it. They're glorious, and it's different from what we know. It will be a body. Romans 8, 23. We believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, before I read the rest of the verse, the older we get, we understand about growing, don't we? Get up out of a chair, you make a noise at a certain age, don't you? Sit down into a chair, you make a noise at a certain age. We start growing every time we do anything when we get some years on us, and we do. But then he goes on to say, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies that we physical. When you're home, read 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 34. Let me read it. How will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not a plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. That God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different thing in order to each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One for humans, one for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of earthly bodies. The sun is one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind. And even stars differ from one another in their glory. But in the same way, the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised 
they will, our earthly bodies, will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried as weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. On in 1 Corinthians, beginning of verse 15, we find more teaching. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We'll not all die, but we'll all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living, we will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And I cannot tell you how much that scripture has helped me in the past few days, in the past few weeks. My children are here to bear witness that I'm telling the truth about our family camping adventure. Taylor was probably six, seven, Ellen three to four. Do you remember going to Chocolate Lake in the tent? Chocolate Lake, a national a state park near Akron, Mississippi, lovely, lovely place. And it was the fall of the year, and I wanted to go camping. And so I bought a tent from Sears and Roebuck and went out and found our little spot. And it was a gravel pad. And I put the tent there. There was electricity there. There was a bathroom. I'm saying it was 50 yards away. Jeannie says it's about a mile and a half. So there's a little discrepancy about how close that And so for our family, our first family came I took the mattress off of our bed, queen-size mattress, and I put it in my truck and put it in the tent so we would be comfortable. I had a little disc furnace to keep us warm in case it got cold. We were out for adventure. I was in my truck and Jeannie was in her car and we settled down for a nice night. And Shut up. It's your birthday, so I'm not going to tell the rest of the story. <laughs> Just let me tell you, one of us didn't have a good time camping. One of the four of us. I won't tell you which one it was. If you see Tyler and Ellen after church, they'll be glad. When you tell after church, they'll tell you after church. It was our first family camping trip and our last family camping one of us decided that tents are evil and should be destroyed, and you should not live in a tent. And I tell you that story today because Scripture teaches just that. It really does. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says this. We know that when the earthly tent we live in is taken down or destroyed, that is when we die and leave this earthly body. A tent is a temporary structure, and we know these are temporary structures we live in. When that is destroyed, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. 
We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothing for we will put on heavenly bodies. We'll not be spiritual without bodies. When we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, and it's true, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies and clothe us, rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God Himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, has given us His Holy Spirit that will prepare us for that day. And He does. It sounds to me like a butterfly to a caterpillar, a caterpillar to a butterfly experience. For the Christian, death is graduation to something much, much better. It's my prayer today that all of us have made the proper arrangements because the day will come. But for the Christian, the transition is so quick and so wonderful, so marvelous. Johnny 51 says this, very truly I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. The last sight you have here is that you're going to see something much better. And that's good news. Jeannie got information this morning and let me know that a dear friend in Mississippi, her father, has died during the night, early morning this morning. It happens all too often. We see each other too much at funerals. How is it we don't fall apart? Because we can be informed. And we can know the truth. And the truth, that will satisfy. 